Welcome to the latest episode of Full Comment. Our guest today is an ICU doctor who has had a front row seat for what's really been going on at Ground Zero during this pandemic, and we have a lot to talk about. Is the healthcare system in Canada still in crisis? What did we get wrong? What are we getting wrong still? And did we really need all of these restrictions on our lives, some of which are still in place? One of the best voices in Canada to answer these questions is Dr. Quadro Kameratang. He's a critical care physician who has been treating COVID patients at hospitals in Ottawa, where he is also an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa and host of the Solving Healthcare podcast. Dr. K, hello, welcome. Wow, Anthony, you make me feel special. Uh, Well, you, you are special. We're really glad to have you on here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I really want to get your insight because, you know, you have views on restrictions. You have advice to offer Canadians on, you know, really how to how to think about this time right now, how to proceed. And you've also got on the ground experience uh, pretty much, you know, from from day one of this pandemic starting in the hospitals in our country. And I'll, I'll definitely want to go back and get your thoughts on some things that were happening earlier in previous mm-hmm. waves. But to, to, to just sort of jump into the moment right now, here we are. It's pretty much summer commencing in Canada. What's the current situation right now i mean are we, are we right to be optimistic what do you see is is the urgent issues right now yeah i mean i gotta be honest with you anthony like there is a lot of reasons for optimism like i i have as you alluded to been part of this pandemic through all waves and the third one obviously hit us the hardest and it was pretty intense like we were seeing the uh, locally in ottawa numbers that we haven't seen before we were seeing a significant amount of transfers from the GTA. We did see younger patients come through, which uh, was, you know, to, to many of us was was shocking and, and, and unfortunate. But all that has gone better, you know, like our numbers in the community have gone better. COVID admissions have come down significantly. Uh, our ICU numbers in terms of like the absolute numbers of patients in the ICU remain relatively high locally for this time of year, but the percentage of COVID patients is significantly lower compared to, um, uh, you know, even just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so like there is absolute reasons for optimism. We're seeing more and more Canadians getting vaccinated and, and even double vaccinated. Uh, so from our perspective or my perspective, I should say things are looking up. One of my biggest kind of concerns with with communications and information during COVID right now, we increasingly live in a soundbite age and a sort of tweet age. And a lot of the information that that we were getting that people were processing was was pretty sort of capsule information, whereas I know you have a a very full picture, very nuanced picture. And I want to get you to break down a bit more, please, for us, the idea of younger people being admitted to the ICUs, because a lot of people took that. We just hear young people getting into hospital. We'd see that on the ticker board. And a lot of people got nervous and said, man, this new variant, it's, you know, it's knocking down people in their 20s and their prime and so forth. Well, hold on, you know, what, what, what was really going on? Who were these? Can you break down for us what the what the profile it was of the person, what it means, you know, to be younger? Because for a while, first wave, we're talking people in their 80s and 90s. What was mm-hmm. it looking like as the waves continued? Yeah, this is a very good point, Anthony, because once again, this wave, the third wave, we were seeing younger demographic. As you mentioned earlier in the pandemic, we were seeing typically older patients in this 60s, 70s, 80s. And this time around, they, they were vaccinated. So some of our vulnerable population, unfortunately, were a bit younger. But the, the key 
demographics that we saw throughout the pandemic, regardless of age, was obesity, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, other, also known as metabolic syndrome, was clearly a risk factor. Like when we saw patients that were in their, you know, I saw some that were in their 20s and, and their 30s, but unfortunately, obesity was a predominant part of their profile. And so, it, it, you know, in some ways, this was, once again, my bias. I always thought, Anthony, this was the, it was good to bring this up because maybe it would empower a lot of people to, to, to ask themselves, like, should we be doing more to think about prevention and getting healthy in terms of what we eat and, and staying active? But, you know, we there was a lot of things to tackle, I guess, and, and a lot of, uh, uh, this wasn't, I'd argue that this wasn't even really brought up at all within mainstream media. And I'm not even sure in Twitter world how much this was brought up, but it was just so apparent from early on in the pandemic uh, that this was a huge uh, contributor to people getting sick from COVID. Uh, and luckily, because they were younger, they were, most of the patients would pull through, which was was great. We also saw a bit of um, a rise in pregnant cases, which was, uh, full disclosure, some of the most anxiety provoking right. scenarios as a, a ICU doc but you know in my in my limited exposure to these uh, patients uh, they 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 got through you make, a, um, you make a really interesting point when you're talking about uh, why don't we talk about health factors and so forth. And I know you've been an advocate of that for quite some time. And I can't help but feel that early on in the pandemic, we said, we want to make sure everyone takes this seriously. We want to do things out of an abundance of caution. I get that. So we started basically saying, look, anyone can get coronavirus. Anyone can get ser get it seriously. Anyone can die of it. So everybody needs to follow all these rules. Everybody needs to follow the lockdowns. And, and, and I get that idea of making people take it seriously, but I worry sometimes that didn't allow for the very conversations you're talking about here. When, you, when you're saying, you know, we got to talk about healthy living, this is not, you know, I would do a lot of writing on comorbidity data and people would be like, well, Anthony, what's your point? You're trying to suggest that, uh, you know, these people don't matter or so forth. And no, 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 it's almost kind of the opposite that there are, there is a, a, a group, there are specific indicators in people that suggest, well, they really matter and we really need to talk about that yeah and the, the thing why it's so important to capture the data is is exactly what you say so you could do something about it so whether it's your vaccine strategy whether it's once again promoting healthy living because one of the things as a nice you doc that i found shocking and this was kind of some of the content that we covered on our, our podcast was that some of these conditions you could reverse relatively quickly based on what how you choose to eat whether that's fasting low carb ketogenic approaches to to health um like there's ways that you could really reverse disease relatively quickly and uh, to me this i was new new to that i wasn't aware that you know this was an option for so many so when i when i caught wind of these opportunities i was like wow how could we not be preaching this to the the world right now when this is a huge driver in the pandemic and and you kind of alluding to this too like not everybody has the same risk factors like you know i'm i'm in my you know in my 40s I, i'm uh relatively healthy and i i'm i don't have the same risk of 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 dying from covid as you know even someone my age but you know that has obesity or high blood pressure and i think this is something that you know is should in my opinion should have been part of the discussion because a lot of the, our messaging 
just induced fear and, and, and it induced some anxiety, undue anxiety. Um, and th- I mean, to me, that has to quell out. Like you could see it, like even to this day, when you walk by somebody outside on the street and they feel like they got to cross the street to because they want to reduce their risk of getting COVID. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't, you're not going to get COVID this way by walking past me on the street. It's just, I don't know. I think to me, it always came down to like, let's focus on the real problems, the real areas of concern and not dilute the the public with so much information and so much fear-based info um, to distract us. But, you know, that's just my humble opinion, Anthony. Well, well, speaking about, you know, real problems moving forward, because now thankfully we, it seems like a lot of things are in the rear view mirror. Are you worried about, about, long-term concerns that are that are indirectly related to coronavirus i know we talked about uh we've heard reports on deferred breast cancer screenings to give just one example or or to your point the potential psychological damage that some people are going to feel you know are they going to continue to have anxiety in the grocery store and so forth may that manifest itself physically and so on do you have concerns about uh, about the months and i don't know maybe years ahead with that stuff unfortunately i i have massive concerns about this and i'll start with our kids like the fact that they're not in school, the fact that the you know their physical health, their their mental health is being directly impacted. Like my wife's a psychologist; we're good friends with a child psychologist, and the the demands that are on families and kids right now is immense. You know, and when we look at even the inpatient admissions for mental health disorder for kids, it's like. My concern, Anthony, is that not only are these short-term concerns, but for some of these kids, it's going to be lifelong and it's generational. And and this is, to me, one of the saddest parts of our COVID response. And at the beginning, when we didn't know much, that's one thing. But at knowing this level of 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 how much we know now about COVID, it's it's to me, it's a, a travesty when you think of the domestic or the, not only domestic abuse, but the child abuse that is going unseen right now. At so many levels, we, there, there, there are consequences to our, our, our actions. And then you mentioned also like the ca- delayed cancer screening. That's unfortunately, we're going to see the consequences of that delayed surgeries. I can't tell you how many people I've seen presenting late as they were waiting for an, an operation. Uh, and either unfortunately pass or have complications from, you know, having that delay. We've seen people presenting late to hospital because of fear of coming into hospital. This one to me is on us. Like we really, from a public messaging should have been from the, from the get go. If you're having symptoms that you feel need to be addressed acutely, please come into hospital. We'll do our best to keep you safe. And, and and we'll treat you for for the conditions you need because the amount of late strokes, the late uh, the late heart attacks that I've seen, the late infections has been really unfortunate and and too many to that uh, too many to, to count unfortunately. Now, why so is this you, not being discussed more? I mean, this is what's so frustrating, doctor. I mean, there's there's a lot of conversations on the news about obviously the concerns about different waves, ICU capacity, and and the horrible things that uh, that our old folks endured in long term care facilities. I get all of that. I'm not sympathetic to it. I know I know two people who've lost their parents or lost a parent to coronavirus. It's very real. It's very much a problem. But then you had people who who wouldn't. They'd go on the airwaves and they were they were very credentialed people and, and they wouldn't acknowledge 
these harms. And I know you've been a powerful voice calling for a more balanced approach. Why have we not had, well, forget a balanced approach. Why have we not had a more balanced conversation? Well, I mean, Anthony at the beginning was taboo, to be honest with you. Like it was right. all about, you know, everyone stay home, do your part. That's all we, that's all we could do. And I got to tell you, I was motivated because of what we were seeing it. What we were already seeing early, for example, was the late presentations coming into hospital. That was that was probably my first signal of like, uh, like we should be talking about some of these consequences, and not only because, you know, to see, you know, maybe we shouldn't be going, we should be altering our restrictions, but also that maybe we could be doing something about it to address it, whether that's messaging, whether that's active, uh, you know, uh, just being more active in addressing these things. But man, at the beginning, it was taboo to talk about some of the consequences. But yeah, I, I think as an ICU doc who, you know, our role, if we're doing our jobs well, is to always look at things holistically. Like you can't just look at one organ. You can't just say, hey, let's make sure that the kidneys are doing well and that's all we're going to focus on. You need to think of the... You need to think of the the heart. You need to think of the lungs. You need to think of the liver. Like you have to think of all things in unison to, and then come up with a solution that kind of balance these things. And so as more and more information comes through and you realize, whoa, you know, there's another side to this coin. It's the, these harms. We need to factor that in to our equation. That's the thing that, that killed me, Anthony, was when you roll out these models of, of you know, the impact of COVID-19, you know, in my world, when we do research, like I do a lot of cost analysis, it's always cost benefit. It's harm and benefit. You know, like you got to look at both sides of the coin. And we weren't at all discussing the sec the other side of the coin. We're saying, yeah, these are the projections for ICU admissions, for mortality, for cases. But what were the impacts that our restrictions going to have on long term, whether that's the economy, whether it's our kids' education, whether it's uh, cancer rates, where are those projections? projections you have to put that into the equation to decide what is the best action otherwise you're going blind and they didn't do it i asked dr barbara uh, dr barbara yaffe the the uh, associate chief medical officer of health for the province at a press conference i asked her live has the department of health in ontario done a cost benefit analysis and she gave this kind of laugh I, I don't think it was a laughing at the question i think it was a nervous laugh where she was like pretty much no yes those things matter i guess but no we haven't done it and to your point you say uh, in your line of work you're, you're doing cost benefit analysis there's businesses where they make the smallest most inconsequential decision they do the cost benefit analysis it's beyond me that one of the biggest decisions we've we've made in like our lives shutting down society people have just kind of shrugged it off they've been like oh okay fine you know if you flip a coin if it makes sense yeah it, it was just I don't know. Like the the whole thing was kind of it was a bit scary in some ways. Like the way we were just just like to me, the, like the key thing, Anthony, too, was always like using the data that's in front of us to make our decisions as well. Like you know, don't try and uh, politicize this. Let's look at our data and then come come up with the most logical actions. Like one of the things in Ontario that was baffling was we knew, that, like if you look at the the, the hot spots, like the truly the hot spot, like Ontario was hot spot, like that was the issue. Man, you go to Peel, you go to Scarborough, like that place was on fire. Right. And if you think you think an outside perspective, 
and say like, why don't we just address the fire? Right. Let's really focus on our energy, our resources on where this, where this, uh, this, uh, is, uh, the hotspots are, because if we can control that, man, we can really control the, the, the concerns in, in Ontario. And the one other thing too, that I think also gets lost in the discussion before I forget was when we look at health, public health, it's not just COVID. It's always, it's health is multi-tier, it's multifaceted. It is COVID, yes, but mental illness, overdoses, uh, as we talked about, strokes, MI, other aspects of health. And it baffled me that how, how we did not address or acknowledge some of these things. Like when we looked at even BC, their reports of opioid overdoses were, you know, the highest they've seen in years. And what were we going to do about it? We don't, or why aren't we discussing these things? You know, like look at the data and let's try and come up with solutions. But man, it just—I don't know, Anthony, if it's just because this thing got too political, or the decision makers. Or I have no mm-hmm. idea, but we really needed to be more data driven throughout this thing. Well, let's talk about that for a bit—the the politicization of it, both in the broader, you know, political realm and in the healthcare and medical community realm. You alluded to it a bit—the idea of oh, you couldn't even talk about this or that and so forth. One of the things I, I guess I've had a split experience here, where uh, speaking to so many. Uh, credentialed medical voices such as yourself. I just have so much respect, uh, newfound respect for what you guys are all doing and my hat's off to, to all of you. But then at the same time, I also see these really kind of petty, caustic attacks on social media and this cliqueishness. And I'm kind of like, oh, wow, this is also, there's a lot of like high school nonsense going on as well. That is, you know, there's <laughs> there's online bullying and so forth happening. If, you know, you don't get on board with my views and then I'm going to file a complaint to this uh, medical regulator or I'm going to try and get you kicked off this committee or just this odd stuff that I've been hearing about. And, and you know, people in the medical community have been reporting back to me on. I mean, what is going on? I, I do not know, but it's, it's been childish. It's um, like, it, like, I don't know if it's the avenue, the fact that it's been Twitter sphere where people don't ha- like people, it's hard to have a nuanced discussion and, and look at the gray areas right. when you're, you know, you got that, what is it? 140? No, it's more than 140 characters now, uh, 220 characters now. But um, I just think one of the things that we, I don't know if this is a societal thing, if it's within medicine, but we we started to tie our our opinions to our identities. You know, mm. like once once you decided to be pro, I'm just using random example, pro mask. You're pro mask no matter what. You know, if you you were in a scenario where you think, hey, maybe masks aren't necessarily aren't necessary in the circumstances it was it was almost like you've now said something about your character right. and i just think we just needed to stick with our values ultimately just stick with the values what do we want we want what's best for our, our patients we want what's best for society and let's navigate and discuss some of these things because there was because of that inability to especially at the beginning of the pandemic to to discuss some of these concerns i think there's negative consequences Right. And I, I just think having an open dialogue like this was what we normally do in science is that you you could debate something and you could change your mind. You could stick with your guns, but it's it's amicable. It's respectful. And at the end of the day, we're shaking hands and saying, like, OK, we, we've collectively come up with a solution that we 
probably think is the best for everybody. But this just became war. Like I've never, like I, you know, I, I at the end of the day, I always say, you know, m- my values is always, you know, do the right thing. You know, it's what we're trying to instill in our kids. And and that was my kind of anchor when <laughs> there was like the onslaught of Twitter attacks for, you know. Uh, I think you were attacked for just standing up for kids for saying, I think we should reopen the schools and so <laughs> forth. And then people get really angry. And, you know, like, how can you attack a guy for standing up for kids? But I guess they, they found a way. Exactly. I mean, this is the thing. People would just dig their heels, you know, and I... And to me, you know, when it comes down to like a lot of my colleagues are scared to speak up for sure. Like I would get, I've been actually in a lot of ways, um, um, it's been nice to see people reach out and say, thank you for me- your messages and, and uh, thanks for being courageous. And in some ways, I, 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 you know, it's nice to hear, but in a lot of ways, I feel like it's not, I'm not even being that courageous. It's just, you're doing the right thing. Like who cannot, like, how can you be upset at somebody? For defending children right like really you're gonna you're gonna really uh like reprimand somebody for speaking up for the people that can't speak up for themselves to your point i guess it's an absolutism like you said i'm on team mask or i'm on school shutdowns and so forth i always got so upset to see the like when I'd see those videos, there weren't many of them, but somebody decided I'm not wearing a mask in the Loblaws today. And I don't know why they may because they're a, you know, maybe they're a conspiracy theorist. Maybe they had a medical problem. Maybe they forgot it. I don't know. They just didn't wear the mask. And there's 100 people in the Loblaws and this guy. And of course they, everyone has to film him and they have to yell at him. And then the cops drag him out and there's a fight. And I'm like, okay, one guy doesn't want to wear the mask. Okay. Like I follow the rules. I wear the mask. If one guy doesn't want to wear the mask, who cares? There's a thing the other week, this Jugmeet Singh discovered to be breaking COVID rules. I go, oh, what's this? I looked at the video and i guess he ran into a guy outdoors that he knew and he it was a person he hadn't seen in a while and he gave him a quick hug he gave him like this bro hug kind of thing and chuck meets mm-hmm. vaccinated at that point and oh he had to apologize there's a bit and i was like where's our humanity the guy gave a guy mm. a quick hug outdoors for just a second please don't make this into a national news story yeah no it, it's like i feel like uh people are trying to do their best to like control what they can control or something like i'm not i mean i don't want to play psychologist but it's just it is funny how these reactions could really blow up like uh, i've seen it on all forms of social media taking pictures of hey this guy went into a church without a mask or you know all these kind of things and i think and maybe this is my palliative care side of things it's like just come out with a little bit of compassion you know maybe there's a good reason like you know we assume somebody like is walking into a store and, and and or being outside whatever and not wearing a mask it's for a mal like a a, a, a negative reason right. but maybe they have a condition maybe they have a respiratory condition where they're having a tough time breathing maybe they have a claustrophobia like just come up with some compassion and you don't need not everyone's going to follow the rules uh not everyone's going to do what we think is right but um you know, we can't change everybody's mind. It's just collectively, if we're most of us are doing the right thing, that's going to make that's going to that's going to put a dent in this thing. And we, this is why we we have made dents. What why we've made some progress? But yeah, the, just coming at it with a bit of a lens of compassion and and just saying like, why is this person doing this? Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's out of um, insecurity, anxiety. Like, but just let's be nice to each other for once. <laughs> 
Uh, doctor, when it comes to what's happening right now this summer, I know a lot of Canadians just want to forget about COVID. They've had their vaccines and they just want to party on a patio or what have you. What are the things that you would like to see addressed right now? Because I know there are still some concerns. Yeah, for me, it's uh, just, once again, let's use the data that we have available to decide what can what we could reopen, what we could do safely and approach it that way. Put the politics aside and let's 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 be objective. You know, and some of the things that I know that we all know, like being outside really safe, right? Like I still have yet to see somebody in hospital related to an outdoor exposure. Right. I, I, I haven't I haven't seen it. I haven't had a clear example in the medical literature. I'm sure it's happened. I'm not to say it's impossible. I'm just saying like this is how rare we're talking and so you know and and we and when it comes to COVID, i'm i'm one of harm reduction mentality like let's do our best to still live life but reduce our risk of getting sick so you know when it comes to reopening let's let's do the stuff that's safe patios outdoor spaces um you know continue to get as many people vaccinated because the vaccines work I, I like i think this is another one anthony where the messaging is was like atrocious right like when you hear the you know th- this vaccine 68 68 effective uh against mild disease but when you look at the data from the trials literally only one patient out of 130,000 was hospitalized that's the kind of effectiveness we're talking about this should be celebrated right. this should be screamed to the world and we should be like telling people how miraculous this stuff is as opposed to like oh well i want to maybe i'm going to go choose moderna over uh, this one because it's uh get gain that extra 3% like right. no nah. <laughs> you like really focus on the win here you're not going to be hospitalized or you're much less likely to be hospitalized because you chose to get vaccinated um the other things i'm looking for is like there's no excuses of, i'm sorry for schools not to open right. like realistically at this point with the data we have available with the harms that we've seen i just oh this it kills me inside thinking uh that's even a possibility for september um but yeah i think yeah let's use the data available let's like look at other centers too like look at israel let's look at uk let's look at uh bc you know what i'm saying look at quebec that have that have uh you know that have opened up that have kept schools or when in light of BC kept schools open and look at where they are now, you know, we're just to put some like a, we're mid close to mid June and their cases are still going down it's just, and they're opening up their economy. So like, let's use the data in front of us to help guide us. But, you know, uh, put the politics aside. Well, what do you think about the U.S.? I mean, I feel like in many respects, they've put the politics aside because they're way more open than Canada. But kind of whether you're talking about, you know, Republican governor of Florida versus uh, left-leaning Democratic Chicago mayor uh, in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. I mean, they're they're both like you, you can take polar opposites of the political spectrum, different sides of the country, and they're all kind of all much bigger on reopenings than everybody is here in Canada. And I know there's a bit different case numbers, different vaccination numbers, but I feel like it's also kind of a different just frame of mind and attitude towards it. Do you think Americans have, have the right attitude or do, do you do you prefer the Canadian one? Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough one. I, I, I'll i be honest with you, and I feel like I'm pretty liberal, is, is that I think I, I would have still been a quite... I would have been less aggressive in, in terms of the opening. Hmm. Like it's certainly 
at least the last time I looked at the data, seems like their approach has worked. Like I just watched the the Golden Knights game and stadium was packed. Right. You know, and that's indoor, not outdoor, yeah. right? And it, they were still able to make this happen, and we're not hearing about increasing cases. You know, so you know, I, I think once once again being data focused, you wonder how many. Not only how many, they had a ton of vaccine vaccines. Uh, 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 sorry, their population vaccinated early on, but there's a significant amount of uh, natural immunity, I would suspect, in a lot of those areas. So how much that plays into things, I think. If I'm answering your question directly, I think it would be somewhere in the middle where, you know, really opening up early the things that we know are are safe, like the outdoor, like as I mentioned, the outdoor space, outdoor environment. I think even if I were, you know, king of the world at some point, really actually being proactive and saying, how can we stimulate the economy using that outdoor space? Like really, you know, whether it's outdoor markets, uh, you know, I think this could have been an opportunity to really just get, you know, not only bolster the economy, but also like morale saying like, hey, locally, we're going to do this to try and support local business. Um, so once again, to answer you directly, it'd probably be somewhere in the middle. But, um, you know, if I'm choosing a place within Canada that you, we should be a modeling at minimum is British Columbia. Well, let me ask you what's become a controversial question. I feel like we should be able to talk about it as an academic question, but I know it's controversial. You mentioned natural immunity, U.S. seeming to have more of it because they just, you know, had more reopenings and some jurisdictions, I think, were just kind of like didn't even want to acknowledge coronavirus. I think North Dakota had an interesting experience uh, with that. I know you talked about metabolic issues that people in ICU had had and so forth, all things that I think are a bit more prevalent in the U.S., so Canada generally a more healthier population could we have allowed young people to pretty much live their lives similar to what Sweden did uh, almost throughout the pandemic here in Canada? There would have been uh, more sort of natural immunity floating around. Did we almost deny people the opportunity to have a go at that? Yeah, I mean, they're all important considerations. Like one thing I'll say for sure is that I think the, the natural... Like you'll see some stuff in the literature, like is natural immunity enough? I I haven't seen anything co- convincing to say that it's not enough. And you know, in terms of protecting yourself, like uh, I I think it's you know d- diligent that we are vaccinating people that have uh, had ex- uh, the the COVID before. But I do think there is something to be said about that in regards to the kids. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like certainly kids are less likely to be sick for sure like that is that that is clear uh, in, in the data their trans their ability to transmit it to others especially young kids aren't it's not the same as older adults for sure so i you know i don't know if the uh, they needed to be uh, you know wide open as in sweden because you I mean all it takes is the you know, a kid to give it to a vulnerable, they could still give it to people that were vulnerable, like whether that's by age or metabolic health. But certainly, um, this is one of the reasons why I thought, you know, that I think that schools have been safe. And and I think if anything, there's opportunities to keep our kids active, like, you know, once again, taking care of that outdoor, use, utilizing that outdoor space, whether that's um, you know, through sport, whether it's, whether it's through education, if we were really wor- that worried, because I think, you know, this is going to be, unfortunately, some, some generational impacts on many, 
And so, uh, you know, I, I, we were talking a little bit before Anthony about just trying to all do our part to, to advocate for our kids. Like we, 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 we have a, a charitable uh, organization, Bridges Over Barriers, that we're doing a, a fundraiser for that reason, like this summer to get our kids active, like to be, you know, because Ford came out saying, you know, we want our kids to be able to go to summer camps and so forth. And, you know, once again, looking at the data, how many of the kids can actually afford summer camps? And these are often the hardest hit spots too that throughout the pandemic. And so, yeah, we were all just trying to do our part to advocate for them, making sure that they can have a chance to go to summer camp. And so we're doing a small fundraiser there, but man, uh, the kids, they really were the forgotten ones in this pandemic. Um, well, great to hear about that charity and, and good on you. That's a that's a great endeavor. Uh, before we go, I mean, you alluded to you hope schools will be reopened in Ontario in September. Other jurisdictions in Canada have had them open for much longer. And, and I got to say, I'm, I'm a little nervous and I hear this from others that that people who are who are committed to being overly excessively cautious aren't going to give that up easily. Yes, vaccination rates are increasing and it, it looks like cases will just continue to crash across June, July and so forth. But you know the seasonal component of this as many have acknowledged this is an endemic illness now it's 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 here to stay hopefully you know fewer people get it and fewer people of course there have to be hospitalized with it but we could see case numbers rise in september um and we could have the same attitude that okay we have to shut things down we can't reopen the schools in september i mean it, it seems like a crazy thing to say but i i think it's within the realm of possibility and i'm, I'm nervous about that happening 100 percent. just look at the track record you know what yeah. i mean like we're the only aren't we the only province right now or like jurisdiction in the in north america that has their schools not open yeah like you know you're in kingston the other day they had zero cases and you have Shut your schools your school <laughs> like you know how i'm sorry but that, it's insane close the patios point. zero cases yeah you can't it, have a like, beer outside in the wind it just does this is what i'm saying like we gotta use the data be smart um because all these restrictions they have consequences and you know as we mentioned what's the flip side let's talk about that flip side but in regards to schools man you could come up with 14 excuses the government could, could come up with well the new the latest uh variant you know like uh are we sure that we're our vaccines are going to be susceptible to that uh, are the kids at, by that time? I'm just a educated guess. There'll be more data on safety of vaccines for younger kids, like younger than 12. Should, are they going to be asking for single or double vaccines there? Um, Should it be mandatory at schools? That's become controversial because I know a lot of people say, look, we don't know to your point. We don't know what's going on with kids and the vaccine. So if they're not really dying of it, if they're not getting it seriously, do not give them the vaccine. But I've already seen some people and even some teachers union reps say, well, the students aren't vaccinated yet. So how can we go back to the classroom? I go, "Uh oh, those two things don't add up well. Yeah, I mean, this is just my humble opinion. That should not be that should not be a factor in a great place to leave it at a fascinating conversation. Dr. Kwajo Kamertang, thank you so much for your time today. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.